Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. The night after Christmas 1980 was the last time Airman First Class John Burroughs would ever lead a normal life. He was on patrol at American-operated Woodbridge Air Force Base in southern England. Woodbridge and nearby Bentwaters, called the Twin Bases, were rumored to possess nuclear materials. This was the middle of the Cold War and tensions were high. The threat of nuclear attack, global escalation, and more sat heavy on the shoulders of Burroughs and his fellow servicemen. But their job was simple. Keep themselves, their nation, and their allies safe. So Burroughs conducted his nightly rounds, checking the perimeter for anything that threatened the peace. Suddenly, a bright light descended from the sky, and then another. Burroughs watched as the lights fell into the forest surrounding the base. When he and his team arrived to inspect the crash site, they were worried it was a Soviet incursion. But what they found was far more terrifying than Soviets. It all started around 3 a.m. on December 26, 1980. U.S. Airman First Class John Burroughs and Staff Sergeant Bud Steffens were on patrol near the East Gate at the Woodbridge base. It was a slow night, but soon they felt uneasy. There was static electricity in the air. Suddenly, a light descended from the sky into Rendlesham Forest, landing about half a mile from the end of the base's main runway. And then another light. The lights were flashing, red and blue, green and yellow, on and off. And at first, they thought it must be a downed aircraft, but no one heard a crash. There was no sound of any kind. Burroughs and Stefan called in the situation from the guard shack. They didn't want anyone to hear their report on an unsecure radio, just in case the crash needed to be dealt with quietly. Remember, this was the Cold War, and the servicemen weren't sure what they were dealing with yet. Staff Sergeant Jim Penniston was the on-duty flight chief at Woodbridge, They grabbed Airman Edward Cabansag and they headed to the East Gate to get a clearer picture of the situation. All four men agreed that the lights must have been a downed aircraft, but why didn't it make a sound? Something so close to the twin bases would have alerted plenty of personnel. It would have been impossible to miss. They checked in with both bases. Nobody at Woodbridge or Bentwater saw or heard anything. They called RAF Baudsey, 
They called RAF Watton. They even checked in with Heathrow Airport to see if anyone reported a downed aircraft in the area. Nothing. But something strange did show up on radar. About 15 minutes before the lights fell into Rendlesham Forest, a radar operator reported a bogey. The radar saw Humphrey Bogart? A bogey is an unknown aircraft. Ah, that makes more sense. The bogey was lost from radar directly over the base. Then orders came down, go check it out. The four men drove out to the east gate and down a public road, mostly used for logging and hiking. The road connected to a trail that led deeper inside the forest toward the crash. But as soon as they hit the trail, their communication equipment started to malfunction. It was like a jammer or something interfering with the frequencies. The radio still worked, but only over very short distances. Anything farther than a few feet was nothing but static. Now in the distance, they could hear farm animals going crazy. All around them, wild animals sounded like they were screaming, screaming like humans. And they admitted this terrified them. In all the time they'd lived in and around twin bases, they'd never heard anything like this. They kept walking for a few minutes before they came upon a small clearing. And as soon as they stepped out of the trees, an explosion of light hit them. The light was blinding. Even though it was the middle of the night, the area was lit up like the day. They shielded their eyes and finally saw the source of the light. It was coming from a craft. The triangular-shaped craft made no sound. And when the men took a step toward it, the animals stopped screaming. Tell me, Clarice, have the lambs stopped screaming? You want me to tell the story or not? Sorry, sir, I couldn't help it. Go, Go on. The feeling of electricity was now everywhere. Peniston said he could feel it on his skin. He rubs the lotion on its skin or else it gets the hose again. When Peniston got closer, he saw symbols that looked like hieroglyphics engraved on the side. He ran his hand along the exterior of the craft. The metal was smooth and warm to the touch. The symbols, whatever they were, felt like sandpaper. As Peniston drew his hand away, everything went bright white. It took a second for his vision to return. And when it did, he grabbed his notebook and wrote down as many details as possible, including diagrams. After a few minutes, the craft slowly started to lift into the sky, still silent. It took two or three minutes to clear the tree level. Peniston wrote about the liftoff in his notebook. I estimated it to be about three meters tall and about three meters wide at the base. No landing gear was apparent, but it seemed like she was on fixed legs. I moved a little closer. I walked around the craft, and finally, I walked right up to the craft. I noticed the fabric of the shell was more like a smooth, opaque black glass. Where the craft had landed, they saw a few indentations in the ground, but not much else. As they made their way back to the others, Peniston made the comment that the experience lasted a few minutes. Burroughs stopped, confused. For him, it was only a few seconds, and that was weird. They finally got to the end of the trail, but everybody was gone. Cabansag, Chandler, and six other military personnel were all the way back on the road and in a state of panic. In the commotion, someone radioed Woodbridge to report Burroughs and Peniston were found safe and alive. They could call off the search party. Search party? Yeah, Peniston and Burroughs didn't understand. They were just a short walk down the path, and they were out of contact for just a few minutes. But that's not what everyone else experienced. When Burroughs and Peniston disappeared into the forest, they were gone for almost 45 minutes. Missing time! Yep. 
Then Penniston felt dizzy and uneasy on his feet. And though he didn't admit it at the time, this is when the vision started. Records show the American military called British authorities on December 26th, an hour after the first sighting. At 4 a.m., local police were called to the location, but the only lights they could see were from the Orford Nest Lighthouse a few miles away. Around 5 a.m., Deputy Base Commander Lieutenant Colonel Charles I. Halt arrived on the scene. Halt was 41 years old at the time and had served in Vietnam and Korea. He had no time for UFO stories and was annoyed that his men were getting distracted by such nonsense. And believing this was all nonsense, Halt ordered a staff sergeant to add information to the ship's logs using vague terminology. But it didn't matter what was written in the logs. By the early morning, it seemed like everyone knew a UFO had landed nearby during the night. Before daybreak, a group of men went back to the site to take measurements and photographs. The three indentations Penniston and Burroughs saw were still there. It was the middle of winter and the ground was frozen solid, so whatever created these indentations must have been incredibly heavy. Once they were done gathering information, the men returned to base and went about their business. Penniston drove home and tried to catch up on sleep, but he couldn't relax. He felt compelled to go back to the landing site like his entire body was telling him to return. So he did. Penniston brought Plaster of Paris to take a mold of the indentations of the landing marks. He wanted physical proof of what happened to him so he can prove to himself that he wasn't crazy. The rest of December 26th was uneventful, as was most of December 27th. But that evening, the base had its annual awards dinner, and most of the officers were in attendance, including Colonel Halt. In the middle of the event, the on-duty shift commander burst through the door. His face was pale and he looked like he was in shock. He made a beeline for Halt and whispered, Sir, it's back. Halt assembled a team to investigate. The men gathered handheld cassette recorders, cameras, and even a Geiger counter to measure radiation. Halt was known for carrying a tape recorder wherever he went, and he recorded the investigation in real time. When they got to the landing site, the three indentations in the ground where the craft allegedly landed were throwing off radiation. Seven tenths, right here, sir. Uh-huh. We found a small blast, what looks like a blasted or scrubbed up area here. The trees around the site were discolored and there were odd abrasions on the trunks. Halt ordered samples from the trees to be taken for analysis, but the team had to be careful. The trees were also throwing off radiation. And viewing the scene through thermal imaging showed that the trees and landing area were warmer than the rest of the environment. We are getting an indication of a heat source coming out of that center spot. And just before 2 a.m., something spooked the animals of Rendlesham Forest again. We're 
some very strange sounds out of the farmer's barnyard animals. They were very, very, very active, making a lot of noise. You just saw a light over there. Wait, I got this photo. Where? Yeah, there it is. Oh, yeah, I see it too. What is it? We don't know, sir. A small red light appeared between the trees, and the animals fell silent, and it was deathly calm. The red light hovered over the clearing. It started to move through the trees, so Halt and a few others followed it. Weird. It appears that you may be moving a bit this way. It's, it's right enough that fast pad. Yeah. It's coming this way. It is definitely coming this way. There's no doubt about it. This is weird. Now two lights appeared, both shooting off yellow sparks, and they moved back and forth like a blinking eye. And we're seeing strange lights in the sky. Three or five. We see strange uh, strobe-like flashes to the uh, sporadic, but there's definitely something there. And then things got intense. You can hear Halt crying out on the tape that a beam of light just struck the ground ten feet in front of his team. The light was described like a laser. It wasn't damaging anything, but the men got the impression that it was scanning for something. Now, we still don't know if there were nuclear weapons stored at the twin bases, but this would only be one of many UFO encounters at a nuclear facility. Local police were also busy responding to reports of strange lights all over the county. But as quickly as they showed up, the Rendlesham UFOs were gone. The witnesses had no answers. They were left with only questions. But they were left with more than that. I was very skeptical. I found what had allegedly taken place hard to believe. And I was really going to debunk it, quite frankly. And as events unfolded, I became more and more concerned that there may be something to this. I kept telling myself that there had to be some type of an explanation for it. But I certainly couldn't find one, and even to this day, I, I can't explain what happened. In the months after the incident, Burroughs, Penniston, and others started experiencing health problems. Burroughs' eyes were deteriorating. He had throat issues. He developed a heart condition. Years later, a specialist told Burroughs that his symptoms are usually found in people exposed to high levels of radiation. Now, Burroughs remembered the high radiation readings in Rendlesham Forest. He requested his medical records from the Air Force, but the request was refused. And this was years after he retired from service. And at one point, the military wouldn't even admit that Burroughs had served. All information on him was considered top secret. Doctors later identified the cause of Burroughs' injuries as broadband non-ionizing electromagnetic radiation. Now, this could occur if you're exposed to ultraviolet, infrared, or high-powered microwave energy. The military now had no choice but to acknowledge the situation. The U.S. government finally admitted that these servicemen suffered serious health problems, and a few of them were even granted medical disability. But many of Burroughs' medical records are still classified to this day. Sergeant Jim Pennison also experienced after-effects from the UFO encounter. Now, he was never the same after that flash of white light he saw while touching the craft. And that night, when he was going over his notes and diagrams, he started to feel sick. And then he had visions of ones and zeros. He had no idea what they meant or what was happening to him. But the numbers were so vivid, he started writing them down. And the more he wrote, the better he felt. Then finally, the vision stopped. 
Jim put his notebook away and didn't think about it again for another 30 years. He completely forgotten about writing down all those ones and zeros, but in 2010, he pulled out his notebook for an interview. He wanted to show the symbols that he saw on the craft. As he was thumbing through the notebook, he came across the pages with the numbers. The interviewer said, wait, what's that? And Jim Penniston was nonchalant about it. He said, oh, that was information downloaded to me from the UFO. Jim was asked if it was binary code, but he didn't know what that was. So they sent the numbers to a computer expert to see if there was anything to it. Now, they didn't tell the computer guy anything. They just said, here are a bunch of numbers. Tell us what you think. The tech couldn't believe it. It was a message from the future. For 30 years, Jim Penniston had a binary message transmitted to his brain from a UFO, and he didn't know it. This is what it said. Exploration of humanity continuous. Continuous for planetary advance. Eyes of our eyes. Origin year, 8100. And if that doesn't blow your mind, how about this? The rest of the message is a list of coordinates for locations all over the planet. Caracol, Brazil. Sedona, Arizona. The Great Pyramid of Giza. The Nazca Lines in Peru. Mount Taishan in China. The Temple of Apollo in Greece. And this final location is labeled the origin. Wait, what? In the middle of the ocean? Yes, but this location might not have always been ocean. There is a mythical island called High Brazil that was allegedly here at one time. High Brazil is a phantom island, which is an island that appears on maps for a period of time, but is later found to not exist. Now, High Brazil appeared on maps for hundreds of years, including the famous Piri Reis map, which was based on much, much older maps. Researchers and archeologists have searched extensively for the island, and there is evidence that islands once existed there. Shallow water shelves have been found at Porcupine Bank, northwest of Ireland, and similar shelves were discovered at Rock Hall further north. All of the locations in the binary code are known as highly spiritual places, but they've also been called portals to other dimensions or to other planes of reality. Because of this, Jim Penniston doesn't think the Rendlesham UFO was extraterrestrial. He thinks it was us. He thinks this was a message from humans from 6,000 years in the future. And that's becoming a more common theory regarding the recent UFO activity. And I've noticed that NASA is being very cute about their explanations. They said just this week that there's no evidence that any UAPs are extraterrestrial in origin, but they still don't know what they are. To me, that sounds like NASA thinks it's possible that the UAPs are not from another planet, but from this planet. Now, maybe an ancient race of humanoids have existed here for thousands or millions of years, and now they're making themselves known. Or maybe, like Jim Penniston believes, we're being visited by our future selves. The big question is, why? Why now? It feels like they're trying to warn us of something. And because UFOs seem to be very interested in what we're doing to the planet, and extremely interested in what we're doing with nuclear technology, the warning is pretty serious. So let's hope these UFOs really are from outer space, because then they're warning us of a disaster that could happen. If the warnings are from us in the future, then whatever disaster they're afraid of, it's already happened. And considering what's going on in the world right now, I don't think there's any way to stop it. Physical evidence, audio recordings, 
countless high-ranking U.S. military witnesses, the Rendlesham Forest UFO incident has it all. But is any of it true? Well, the answer, like in many UFO cases, is it's complicated. So let's start with the big picture. Are there official records of an unknown object in Rendlesham Forest on December 26th and December 28th, 1980? Yes. Is there evidence from the original investigation corroborating the UFO story? Yes, but there are issues. There's a discrepancy over the date of the first sighting. All of the official witness statements say the lights first appeared on December 26th, except one. Penniston's statement is undated, and both he and Halt wrote independently the date of the first sighting was actually December 27th, the following night. Halt didn't even file an official statement with the military. He wrote a memo on January 13th, 1981, after taking statements from Penniston, Burroughs, Cabansag, Chandler, and others. But some of the witnesses said their statements were rewritten and they were forced to sign. In Burroughs' witness statement, he said the light came from the nearby lighthouse, and that's that. Cabansag's statement says the same thing. The Orfordness Lighthouse is visible from the landing site on the eastern edge of Rendlesham Forest, the exact direction the men saw the lights. The blue and red lights? Well, Burroughs said it was probably just local police checking out the scene. Penniston is the only witness who claimed to encounter the craft. He said he got within 50 meters of it, but it flew back every time he got closer. And later, that story changed. Penniston is the only one who reported missing time. And he didn't report this until years later. And only after he went through regression hypnosis in 1994. Uh, You said hypnosis with a little bit of stank on it. Yeah, I'm not sure if regression hypnosis is finding lost memories or creating new ones. Whoa! It's all right, sweetheart. What is it? Oh, there was like 20 of them. It was during hypnosis when the details about touching the craft and the symbols got added to the story. Penniston and Burroughs both have changed their stories a lot over the years. There was a very strange feeling in the air. Colonel Halt is always portrayed as this by-the-book, hard-nosed military commander. But there are questions about him, too. Halt is quoted as saying, during the briefing, witnesses to the Rendlesham UFO incident were subjected to mind control efforts using drugs and hypnosis by the British and American authorities. Now, no one else makes this claim, and it wasn't mentioned until years later. And a lot of data Halt said existed no longer does. Well, a lot of people say that, and it could be. But Halt's famous audio recordings are in his possession, and he says he's got the whole night, four or five hours on tape, but he's only released 18 minutes of audio, and those 18 minutes are edited. He refuses to release anything else. Now, Penniston's notebook is also a problem. Other witnesses say there's no way he could have written anything down. He wasn't at the site long enough. The notes also don't line up with the other witness statements. Even the date is wrong. Now, there are plenty of details and witness statements that do line up, but a lot of those can be explained. Halt said the reddish-yellow light he saw through the trees would appear every five seconds. Now, we can hear this on the tape, but the light from the lighthouse was visible through the trees, and it was set for a five-second rotation. Kabatsag also mentioned this pulsing light, but the light he saw was confirmed to be the lighthouse. Whenever the Rendlesham story comes up, we only hear from the witnesses who confirm the story as true. Rarely do we hear from the many witnesses who claim there were no UFOs, But those witnesses do exist, and they too have given sworn statements. There was absolutely nothing in the woods. We could see lights in the distance, and it appeared unusual as it was a sweeping light. Contrary to what some people assert, at the time almost none of us knew there was a lighthouse at Orfordness. Remember, 
The vast majority of folks involved were young people, 19, 20, 25 years old. That's one reason the lights appeared interesting or out of the ordinary to some people. Government shield. Maybe. The marks in the trees were confirmed to be hatchet marks, indicating to foresters which trees to cut down. The high levels of radiation actually weren't high at all. Even the highest readings were within the normal range for background radiation. The indentations in the ground weren't all that deep. Locals say they were made by animals. Now, speaking of animals, the screaming in the forest is a creepy detail of the story. But it was probably a deer. Oh, a deer scream? Munchak deer do. Oh, I don't like that theory at all. Yeah, on a dark, cold night in December, when you think you're chasing a UFO, hearing that sound from the woods would be terrifying. But these deer live in Rendlesham Forest. The locals heard them all the time. But we don't have these in the U.S. And remember, even though this event happened in England, all the witnesses were American. In 2018, former members of the SAS, British Special Forces, said the whole thing was a prank. In 1980, SAS had tested the security of the base by parachuting in. They got caught. Remember, this was potentially a nuclear base. This was the hot row here, where weapons were stored in the ATF team facility down there. So the British paratroopers were roughed up and interrogated for 18 hours to make sure this wasn't a Soviet ruse. The British soldiers didn't report the incident, which is not surprising. Competition between military allies is always fierce, but you don't rat on fellow soldiers. But the SAS got their revenge. They said they staged the whole incident and it got out of hand. Now, this seems like a good explanation, but I still can't find any actual names. There are a lot of anonymous sources. Uh, but the British couldn't beam computer code into this guy's brain. Tennyson, right. There are lots of problems with that notebook and the whole binary code story. He said he forgot about the code and only remembered it in 2010 during a documentary shoot. But you can see him flipping through the notebook on TV as early as 2003. Now, I guess he only flipped halfway through the notebook and then was like, yeah, I'm good. Now, suddenly in 2010, during another presumably paid TV gig, now there's binary code. And it's code that translates into English. And I always have a problem with aliens sending code in English. It seems too specific and unlikely. I prefer when they communicate with math, like in the movie Contact. Okay. 101, the pulse sequence through every prime number between 2 and 101. But some people say they speak English because they know that's what we understand. Fine, I guess. But the binary code was ASCII encoded. ASCII is an American standard for encoding text. It existed in 1980, but it wasn't commonly used. Plus, the ASCII character set has gone through multiple changes over the years. When this code was downloaded into Penniston's brain, the standard was 7 bits. But the message was encoded using 8 bits, which was the standard, but years later. Ooh, but, but, but future people would know all this. That's true, they would. But the people who translated the code, they took some liberties. They said it was this. But it actually translates to this. Fragments of words, no coordinates. Oh, but... But maybe the future people know this too, and soon we'll be able to see the real message with, uh, with even more bits or uh, whatever. Hey, I'm trying. Work with me here. And remember how Peniston sees a flash of light, goes into a little bit of a trance, and then has this binary code suddenly in his head? Yeah. 
Well, that's the exact plot from an X-Files episode. Oh, no. The episode is called Conduit and aired in 1993, many years before Peniston said anything about binary code. Oh, I'm really annoyed right now. Yeah, there are a lot of problems with the Rendlesham story. Now, when you consider how many people were involved in the incident, it was always going to be impossible to know the truth. Everyone has their own version of events. Whether we like it or not, that's human nature. Those who are pro-UFO use the many high-ranking military eyewitnesses as proof and ignore all the conflicting evidence. Any evidence that's missing? Well, it's a cover-up. And those who are anti-UFO just see the data attempting to debunk the incident, and they consider nothing else valid. The truth is probably somewhere in the middle. And there is another possibility, that the Rendlesham UFO incident could have been part of a counterintelligence operation. Government disinformation is one of the most frustrating parts of UFO research. Counterintelligence officers like former Air Force OSI agent Richard Doty insert themselves into events like the one in Rendlesham Forest. Then they spread just enough chaos, rumors, and crazy to confuse a situation. And Doty openly admits it was his job to lead the public away from the truth, to discredit the reputations of those involved, and ensure that even true information is met with skepticism. In the early 1980s, the Air Force was ramping up UFO disinformation campaigns, and Doty was a big part of that. Whistleblower David Grush has suddenly appeared now that UFOs are mainstream news. But remember, he also worked in the Air Force as a counterintelligence officer. And everything he says publicly is approved by the Pentagon first. And because of how successful counterintelligence operations are at covering up real events, we'll likely never know the full truth about the Rendlesham UFO incident. But that doesn't mean we shouldn't stop looking. And when military intelligence whistleblowers show up, I'm skeptical, but I also want to hear them out. Because contrary to what the military thinks, they're not smarter than we are. Their house of cards is built with lies. And it only takes one piece of evidence, one witness, or one mistake, and the whole thing comes crashing down. And me? I can't wait. Thanks so much for hanging out with us today. My name is AJ. That's Hecklefish. 01101000. This has been The Wire Files. If you had fun or learned anything, do him a favor. Like, subscribe, comment, share. That stuff really helps the channel. And like most topics we cover on the channel, today's was recommended by you, by lots of you. So if there's a story you'd like to see or learn more about, go to thewifiles.com slash tips. And don't forget to check out The Wire Files Discord. There's tons of people on there 24-7. Brother Wi-Files Gino is on there right now getting weird stories from fans. So go check it out. It's a Wi-Files Discord. It's free to join, and it's a lot of fun. A special thanks to our patrons who make this channel possible. You guys are so generous, and I couldn't do this without you. I dedicate every episode to you. And if you'd like to support the channel, consider becoming a member on Patreon. For as little as three bucks a month, you get all kinds of perks like early access to videos without commercials, early access to products like the Hecklefish plushie, plus you get two extra live streams just for you. Another great way to support is buy something from the Wi-File store. Uh, grab a Hecklefish t-shirt, one of these coffee mugs, uh, talking Hecklefish plushie, talking fish toy doll plush toy. That's going to do it. Until next time, be safe, be kind, and know that you are appreciated. Area 51, a 
cold inside the Bible said I was. I love my UFOs and paranormal fun as well as music. So I'm singing it like I should. But then another conspiracy theory becomes the truth, my friends. And it never ends. No, it never ends. With MK Ultra, I'll be an only true aware. Did Stanley Kubrick fake the moon landing alone on a film set? Or were the shadow people there? The Roswell aliens just fought the smiling man, I'm told. And his name was Cold. I can't What the dark watchers found In a simulation Don't you worry though The black night satellite
spring? Is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the Superlight Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. That means more comfort and less baggage. Experience how Allbirds is redefining comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24. With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply.